Hello and welcome to the Great Long Boat Podcast. I am Igor, your host, moderator, and only permanent member of the band Long Boat. Today, we spotlight the tune Mile 359 off of 2014's Untitled Vanity Project. This is the first tune that I have actually called up from that album. It uh, It's kind of... It, I thought it would be a very big and relevatory album at the time because I was I was doing I was kind of combining garage music with uh, garage electronics and you know using this sort of catch-all garage thing to mean mean th- stuff that sounded l- more live and sounded kind of more energetic and uh, uh, yeah but it, it kind of of course it f- sort of fell by the wayside it's uh, everything is overshadowed by Kill the Music, which came in 2015. Uh, it seems that I was that was an album that I was working up to uh, all that time. But I there's still a lot to enjoy on this album. Um, I, I had, you know, I had a very rock and roll uh, uh, sound in mind. Uh, I, I, I like I like that tune called sa- the, the the term sound. When I was a jazz musician, people would come up to me and say, "Hey, man, I like your sound," and I'd be like, "I don't think we have one. We're just a we're just a jazz quartet. We're just a jazz trio, or we're just a big band playing Glenn Miller. We don't really have a sound." But um, you know that that it, it's it's freely employed in in rock music and pop music and things like that and I'm actually using it now um but, but you know back when I was a jazz musician that was something that I would just kind of laugh at because you know the the, the whole thing and and it's I always thought that becoming that writing rock music uh, writing popular music was would be something of a surrender and uh, because because here we were, we barely used any amplification. The guitarist used a guitar a guitar amp that was uh, his amp was generally on like two, if he really wanted to play loudly, and uh, and the bass player generally had no amp, uh, and and you could you could hear us just fine, and and of course every jazz musicians complaint is that the reason why rock and roll has has prominence is because they can play louder and that's true to an extent but also jazz there was a time in the 60s when jazz kind of disappeared up its own butt and uh you know it became this uh super intellectual exercise where you know, you had the the third streamers, the people who were like, "Well, we are going to combine elements of classical music with jazz, and con- and that will therefore create a uh, a third kind of music because those that's the only kind there is." Um, and you know, it was people stopped talking about that in about the mid '60s because the the third stream of music was popular music was rock and roll, which you know, came from jazz via R&B, uh, and, uh, you know, you know the rest. But, um, and and then there was free jazz, which, you know, I love Ornette Coleman's music. It's just that uh, there's a lot of other free players that aren't that great who were riding the same wave. But you cannot go wrong, and 
quote me on this. You cannot go wrong with any Ornette Coleman from the 60s. Those Atlantic albums are incredible. Um, and I think he has one on Blue Note called New York is Now. And I have that. And it is, it's just wonderful. I mean, the guy, the guy, he was really exploring the space. But anyhow, um, back to what I was saying that, yeah, when I was, that, that, that jazz kind of did itself in before 1970. And then, of course, in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, a lot of the legends died. Uh, and, and so you didn't have this tradition. And, and it kind of woke up in the 80s where all the guys who were being ignored in the 70s, who were still relatively young, started making albums. And, uh, and you know, it, it's kind of, it's continuing on as a nostalgic thing. I, when, when I first started playing saxophone, I just wanted to like, you know, to have that thing roar all the time. I wanted to play. I wanted to make people uh, think I was the loudest, you know, sax player ever. And, uh, you know, I wanted to make it sing. I wanted to make it cry. And, uh, yeah, um, but, hey, I'm living in Seattle. You can't do that here. Uh, you know, people want you to play in their restaurants. You can't play loud or else you just don't play ever again. And, and you know, that's what we were up against. So, you know, we we, we did the, the wallpaper route. We played standards, and that was fine. But, you know, it is the reality that all jazz players face in that you are stuck in the land of the same hundred standards. And there are some some of the standards I never liked, and and there's some standards that I can't play well. Uh, you know, I can't play "Along Came Betty" very well. I can play "Whisper Not." Those are both Benny Golson tunes. I can play "Whisper Not." I can play the hell out of that, but no, "Along Came Betty." No, no, I can't play that very well at all. I also can't play "Body and Soul" very well, but uh, you know, I can play blues stuff very well. So where was I? Okay, so anyhow, yes, as a jazz musician, I just thought that rock and roll had an unlike thinking like many other jazz musicians, like rock and roll had an un uh, and it had an uh, unfair advantage. That's the word that I'm trying to uh, the the phrase that I'm I'm going for. But you know, once I started making pop music, I you know there was there was the electronic stuff which i enjoyed fine but the live stuff you know in when you build a tune because you know you don't really write a tune is there's there's not a whole lot of create i've said it before i'll say it again there's not a whole lot of creativity in pop music so you just build a tune you build a guitar part you build a bass part you don't write one um and but uh i it to have live a bunch of live instruments come together and make a really nice nice tune uh that was that was something that i was i I was really aiming on doing and that's what kind of came together in this it proved to me that i could write tunes for all live uh, for all live bands or in this case in mile 359 you have live instruments and you have electronics and then you have like these vocal harmonies, three-part vocal harmonies too. And I just, I wanted to have a sort of, for, for, 
for some of these. I want to have a straightforward single line tune that sounded like it, you know, like we just wrote it in an afternoon in the garage. And then for this one, I wanted something a little bit more uh, mellow and reflective uh, and, and, you know, kind of, kind of indefinitely in, in nebulously positive too, because you know a lot of stuff I do, I make fun of people, I make fun of things, I, I, I do things like that. But I'm just, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to write a, a nice kind of mellow pop song with lush vocal harmonies, and that's what this this tune is. Um, you, I'm, I'm doing all of the 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 kalimba stuff. That's me. Um, all the 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 sort of uh, gargly organ, that's me, and that sort of lead synthesizer, and and I believe the bass too. Um, that's that's me as well. We've got uh, uh, Mike Mus- Musburger on drums, Jeff Fielder on twelve string guitar. Uh, I thought that was that would kind of make things sound, give it even more this sort of you know shimmer, and it does. And also um, the uh, the wonderful Jacques Willis on vibraphone, and uh, yeah, he 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 plays marimba uh, on this on a, a tune called Gay Gay Divorce, uh, which is this was you know written in 2014, I believe in 2013 the the uh, decision came down allowing finally allowing gay people to marry in a legal way. And, um, and of course me looking on the other side of that coin, it's like, congratulations, but yeah, now, now you're humans too. And, um, there's, there's gay marriage, there will be gay divorce and it's all done in a sort of, um, you know, snappy jazz waltz. Uh, there, there was a time when I was up for jazz waltzes, you know, uh, on every single album, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of fallen, um, by the wayside, but, uh, yeah, I, you know the the I'm speaking to you from uh, mid June, uh, 2020, and the world is still in upheaval. Uh, we're we're having demonstrations, um, and you know coronavirus is still is still a very very prominent part of the landscape out there. And I just thought I would play a, a tune for you that just kind of doesn't bring up any of today's problems. It's not that you shouldn't confront them and keep confronting them and try to do what is right and and what is righteous too. Um, I just, sometimes it's nice to take a few minute vacation from that. And that's this tune. So, um, as I mentioned, all those guys, uh, Mike Musburger, Jeff Fielder, Jacques Willis, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Sangster, uh, he recorded and mixed it at, uh, we, this was at, um, uh, a different studio. This was at Vast and, um, Rick Fisher mastered this at RFI, which is now, uh, resonant mastering, um, from Untitled Vanity Project. This is mile 359. <laughs>
it to lose our groove But there are ways Life for us can improve What's real and what's a fake?
just dig that mellow shimmeriness. That was Mile 359 from 2014's Untitled Vanity Project. Uh, you know, just continuing the the uh, uh, discussion, the difference between jazz musicians and rock musicians, it's funny. Um, you know, you I, I would... F- the the jazz musicians who complain the most about rock and roll are the ones who are probably the least able to write it or to make something sound like rock and roll. I I have a friend who will remain nameless who is he doesn't listen to this podcast because nobody listens to this podcast. But I he he can you know he know he under, he's forgotten more about music than I have ever learned and um he was giving me (laughs) one day advice about how to write write rock and roll and it was coming from a place where uh from someone who had never written rock and roll and probably never would and uh you know it's 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 not a Rock, writing rock and roll is not like a philosophy. It's more of a practice. And since he had no practice at it, he did did not, for him, it was more of a philosophy. It's like, oh yeah, you should write stuff in odd meters. And it's like, well, yeah, that's prog rock. And that's, you know, dumb. Uh, it, uh, the overwhelming majority of prog rock is dumb. And, and so, yeah, yeah, you can, you can do that. And he started throwing out all these other things. It's like, Oh, you, you you write stuff without chords, and it's like, yeah, I've done that, and 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 do do all this other stuff, and it's like, dude, if you're suggesting all this stuff to me, why don't you just write me a tune? And yeah, he was like, okay, I will, I'll go, I'll go and and write you like the best rock song ever. And yeah, I'm, I believe we had that argument like six years ago, and the song is still not forthcoming. But yeah, I mean, I. Like I was talking about in the first half, I I bought into all that. That sort of like, yeah, um, rock musicians are all a bunch of cavemen. They're they're all a bunch of lunkheads and things like that. That is not true. That is completely not true. I have worked with rock musicians who are just who are you know as intuitive as any jazz musician, and I thought I when I first started working with like professional rock musicians, I thought that I would need to like over explain things. And, you know, like right when I met them, I would have to tell them how I wanted them to play. And I just came off as some sort of like awkward weirdo because here they were, they all knew each other. They were like, Oh yeah. Hey, did you catch uh, that guy's show? Did you, did you you see that guy when he came through town? Yeah. You know, I toured with him a couple of years ago and he's a big drunk, you know, all this, all this gossip and stuff like that. These guys had played together a million times and here, here I'm going, yeah, I I would really like a, uh, (laughs) nice to meet you. I'd really like a 12 string guitar on this tune because, you know, I, I I think it would really bring out the sort of mellowness you know, and I'm just, I, I look back at that now. I mean, I have, I have my sort of core of guys that I, I, I hire and, and they're there. It's different from this crew, uh, just because these guys are really busy and, and my guys are busy too. I just hire them like four or five months in advance. Uh, cause, cause I, it, it's very important for me to get them uh, to have them in on sessions. And, you know, ju- just uh, what uh, uh, two weeks ago, I, I started um, 
finishing off album 21 and it I had not thought about it hadn't listened to it in about two and a half months during this sort of lockdown and I I didn't know what to expect all I knew is that we had a really great string session before we went on hiatus that was on March 17th and here we were June 1st uh, finishing up the album and I do have to say, I, I maybe I've mentioned this before, but it was, it just opened up my eyes, and and I I really made a good album. And I mean, that's not to say that the one that's out, the Wow in the Pal Volume One, isn't a good album. This is a this is a different sort of album. It's getting mastered this Wednesday by the great Ed Brooks, and. Um, and then it will be off to manufacture and probably released in September or so, uh, uh, late September, early October. And um, yeah, I will be sure to play the play tracks from it because they're they're worth a listen. And you know, it's it's okay. Nobody has to buy it. I just want people to listen to it. I always said that that you know I don't care if people pirate my music because that means they're listening to it. And, and, and I still don't have that problem. Um, you know, if, if only I had Metallica's problem. Uh, for those, for, for those who are, who, who don't know what that means, it's uh, Metallica sued their fans over stealing their music on Napster. And yeah, I think they had a case, uh, but uh, yeah, they, 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 they whined about it a lot. Um, it was, it, to me, it was, these, these guys had gotten so super mega rich on 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 angsty metal and um and they were they were really upset to find when they were building mansions that they could only afford the gold plated faucets and not the platinum plated faucets because somebody was some you know teenager in arkansas was stealing their their music so yeah they weren't getting full full value from it but of course you know now they they tour and and make a a lot of money doing that and that's that's the model now i don't tour and so everything that i every time that i make a uh make an album it's just the donation to the music god but anyhow um that that concludes our program um of course, if you want to ask me about anything or if you have any comments, you can email me at longboatpodcast, all one word at gmail.com. All uh, uh, Longboat songs are available to stream on Bandcamp at longboat.bandcamp.com. And uh, yeah, so have a listen. If there's one song that you want me to... Uh, to spotlight please just um tell me which one it is and i will do it uh i'd love to do it and now i'm just kind of my own dj now searching for things that that uh i believe that i can talk about so anyhow uh until next week um as i always say if you don't like this tune i have others thanks for joining me bye bye <laughs>